When I first thought of the prospect of working from home, working remotely, and the stay-at-home movement, I thought, how can I add value to the people that have the time to listen? And that's when I thought, this is the perfect time to cover the book Leadership, written by John C. Maxwell. And some of the leadership uh, philosophies that he brings forth in this book are such a value to share, and I hope that you find value in the series that I'm promoting here on Anchor, on the other channels that Anchor supports, and the replays available at the learning management system we have at mananomas.com. If you go to mananomas.com, click on Academy in the upper menu, you'll see that Leadership is a free course that people can participate in, catch up on the replays, and then join our live shows. Have a great one. Start recording. And so we don't have any guests yet, but uh, I'm hopefully looking forward to seeing some folks join in, whether that be here on Zoom or uh, over on Facebook Live. We're uh, Facebook Live on the Manana No Mas page. And uh, man, it's been a heck of a day already. I'm not gonna lie, I feel like I've done a whole day's worth of work. It's only three o'clock in the afternoon and I'm working from home. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, we are one minute away from showtime here as far as getting into session five of the leadership, John C. Maxwell. And uh, I don't know about you folks. I don't know how many of you have been looking at replays on the lives. Um, and to be honest, I've kind of not jumped into the back end of the learning management site to like look at people and usage. I've just been adding the videos in and I'm kind of flying blind on purpose a little bit. Uh, I want want people to enjoy it. I want people to see value in it, but I don't want to pollute my own thinking with, uh, you know, like a lack of, you know, a lack of participation or, or, a, or a missed, uh, you know, a, a missed expectation. So I want to keep this as pure as I can and keep this rolling forward and, uh, and, and moving right along. Uh, I, when I tried to sleep last night, I was miserable. So I went ahead and put the, the brace back on, pardon me, for the, um, for the broken collarbone. And uh, hopefully that'll feel a little bit better. I've been pushing myself on the bicycle quite a bit. And I'm not sure that that is the cause of what's been happening to me. Um, but it was really sore, like right, especially on the, on the back end, it was super, super sore. So I just want to make sure that I give myself the ability to heal well uh, while still getting my exercise, which uh, might be a contradiction for folks, but it's, it is what it is. And, uh, and I got to keep the calorie burn going. Right. So uh, we're here at three o'clock. Uh, again, this is session five of the John C. Maxwell book leadership. And just to cover a couple of things. Um, I wanted to cover this book at this time, a, because I was already reading it. I thought, this is a fantastic piece of work. This is something that John wrote ahead of its time, because I think right now is the perfect time. Leadership is about moving first. It's about, you know, you can't talk in terms of five-year plans and 10-year plans anymore. You need to have something that's six months, a year, and two years. You know, things are moving quickly. And having a view of the big picture is great, uh, you know, because the, the more you can see, right? Um, but you, you don't want to lose focus on, on not moving quick enough to meet people's needs or people's expectations. And so leadership to me really jumped off the page 
I'm messing with the camera again. And uh, the first couple of things that we covered, if you remember, we covered why every leader, why every leader needs to leadership. And we talked about leadershifting being, you know, act quickly, react quickly, you know, move, move. Uh, good leaders see more than other leaders do, and uh, they do more than other leaders do, correct? Uh, so we talked about that. Then we talked about soloist to conductor, looking at a musical metaphor, right? Um, what it takes to become a really good instrumentalist to becoming a conductor in charge of other really awesome instrumentalists, right? And some of the obstacles that come with that task. Uh, then we went from uh, that to goals to growth. Goals to growth was chapter three, and that talked about the difference between focusing on an action to focusing on growth, yourself, personal development, uh, almost like a lifestyle change or a behavioral change. Uh, for those of you that really found that chapter interesting, I have a course on the learning management system at Manana Nomas, uh, specifically based in behavioral-based goals. So that's a really, you know, it talks about making smart goals and lifestyle changes and things like that. And so it's like, you could have a goal to drop 10 pounds, right? That is a goal-based goal. You can have a goal to drop 10 pounds. Or you could have a lifestyle-based goal, right? A behavioral-based goal that says, I'm going to change my eating and drinking habits to facilitate weight loss, right? Or fitness. And then, so that's the difference, right? The difference is um, an activity or a transaction versus a relationship, right? And that relationship can be with yourself. But goals to growth, I thought, was, was pretty stinking powerful. That was a good one. Um, the next chapter that we covered was perks to price. Perks to price. And what we discussed there was the idea of some people become leaders because of the perks it provides them, right? The, the what's in it for me leader, right? I'm going to get all these people to do the things that I want them to do because I want blah, blah, blah. Um, John's take on leadership is that when you become a leader, there are some perks to leadership. There are perks. Uh, you know, he talked about better parking places and better seats at restaurants and stuff, right? But, but when, you, when you make it as a leader, there are certain perks and senses of, of accomplishment that come with that. But it all comes at a price. To become a really good leader involves sacrifice. And so it's important to do that kind of thing. And then today what we're going to talk about is uh, when, to move from pleasing people to challenging people. And this will be chapter five. And you know, what's so, so interesting as, as I look at what's going on in, in society right now, and I look at the left wingers and the right wingers and the poor people stuck in the middle, and I look at the COVID crisis and you know, some of it's overreacting, some of it's not reacting enough. I mean, they're, they're, everyone's got an opinion about something, right? And here I am in the middle of this. And while I'm doing this for free at no charge, I want to add value to as many people as I can add value to. That's part of being a leader, right? And, and I believe in leadership through a crisis. I believe that people need to be grounded. Certain people need to be calm and show direction and communicate and connect, right? And I personally believe that those that are able to stay calm, communicate, and connect moving forward are going to be the ones, long-term, big picture, that, that experience some kind of benefit out of this crisis, right? Through every disruption, there is opportunity. And while that opportunity might not be filling my bank account now, hopefully through exercises like this, I can earn people's trust, 
people realize that I come from an integral point of view and, and an integrity standpoint, and, and they will see that it, that it makes sense to be in, in the community or in the circle with Kurt and join the Manana Nomas you know, program, the initiative, however you want to call that. It may seem out of place, but I want to share with you something that happened just today. So I'm growing Manana Nomas from a power sports and marine training perspective, right? I have a passion for teaching dealers how to make more money um, in parts and labor sales ethically without ripping customers off. There goes my camera. Um, but I truly believe that if I can teach service writers and service managers how to communicate better with their customers and have a better 360 degree um, look at communication in their workplace, right? Through technicians, general managers, ownership, customers. If we can teach them how to communicate better and then teach them some of the best practices to run a service department with the highest level of efficiency, productivity, and all that kind of stuff, profit will follow. I believe that I believe it, and I'm super passionate about it. I believe that as retail sales of, of big consumable products, you know, ebbs and flows based on things that happen, kind of like this COVID crisis, it is the constants of service and maintenance that keeps the funding alive for a lot of these businesses. And I believe that by increasing the parts and labor sales and these service departments, we give these smaller businesses, you know, smaller in relation to distributorships, right? We give them the financial stability to edify the brands they represent and, and to be leaders within their own industries. And so I'm super, super passionate about this. Well, I've been sending email newsletters out to a list I've cultivated over the last decade. And it was in MailChimp. I took everything out of MailChimp, put it in another program, and was just popping out newsletters every week and everything I thought was great. I was had a really good open rate. Uh, I've run mail lists before with 10, 15% open rate and told that that was good. Uh, this particular mail list was getting you know 35 to 50% open rate depending on the week, and the consumption was high. I felt like I was hitting a target that wanted to be hit. Um, it felt good. Like the numbers look good. And I didn't go into specifics, but you know, overall you pop on it and you say, okay, you know, how many went, how many opened, how many didn't open, how many clicked, the numbers look good on to the next week. Right? Well, I got a complaint today and I don't get complaints that often. So when I get a complaint, I take it real personal. And I believe that's part of, of being a leader, right? Is being able to say, okay, someone's not happy. Let's evaluate the happiness. And they felt that I had gotten their contact information um, through working with other companies, right? And I look at it like, hey, we had a personal relationship. I thought that we interacted personally. I thought you were good. In today's climate, what you think doesn't make it right. And here's the deal. California came out with some laws on, on email usage last year. I researched a bunch of those. Uh, you know, we know that Europe has the GDPR as far as email usage goes, right? And things that are in place. So here's what I did today. And some people are going to say that this is an overreaction, but this to me is, this is what leadership's about. This is, it's not enough to talk about it. You got to do it, right? People have to see the action. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, you know what? I don't believe I was wrong, but if other people think I could have been wrong, I'm wrong, period. Uh, I deleted the whole list. I deleted the whole stinking thing. Um, 35, 40%, 50% could open that thing on a week to week basis. It doesn't matter. Um, 
I put out blog posts, I put out social media posts, I added a form to my site that people can subscribe to the newsletter. And if people want that value added information, if people were, were enjoying that value added information, well then they should realize when it doesn't show up this week, I'm hoping, right? And the people that want the information will subscribe. And then my open rates should be even higher than they were, even though industry-wide they were super high anyway. Um, this to me is important. I don't want people on my mail list that don't want to be there. I don't want to burden people with an agenda that I'm purporting, right? I don't want, I don't want to burden people with my ideas and, and force things on folks. Uh, you know, let's forget the obvious. Let's forget that there's an unsubscribe link. Let's forget that there's all kinds of ways to manage your list. Let's forget that, you know, I'm getting a bazillion emails a day about sexual preference and everything else from the UK, Ukraine, right? All the, all the scam and spam I'm getting there. But this quick talk was about doing what's right and being in a position of leadership and saying, okay, if somebody felt this awkward, you know, that they had to come to me with an email and complain about it, it must mean something. And so let's, it might be overreacting. It might be a, a stern thing, but I believe leaders need to act decisively and quickly. And this was a quick, decisive action. I got the email today. I acted today and it's done. So now my hope is whatever ramifications or complaints or whatever else might've come downstream, hopefully it's eradicated by this quick and decisive action. If not, I'll have to deal with whatever comes my way. But the truth of the matter is, is I only want people in the circle that are in the circle. Like if you're on this broadcast or you're watching this replay right now, you might be thinking, well, this is a little off subject. It's right on subject. We're talking about being a leader and we're talking about making the hard decisions and we're talking about um, pleasing people versus challenging people. And I think this kind of fits, but the tables are turned in this position. This person could have ignored the email that was really bothering them and not said a message at all. And for the record, am I angry at the guy that complained? No, I'm not angry at the guy that complained. Here's the deal. If people see something they believe is wrong and they don't say anything, that's wrong, right? I need to be held to a standard. I appreciate being held to a standard. Now, maybe your standard is higher than I want to be held to at some point. And I have to analyze that. And I got to take a look at that. But I appreciate that someone took the time to do that for me, right? It, they may have looked at it as a complaint or a threat or whatever, um, but I looked at it like, hey, thanks for keeping me on point. Let's do this, right? And think about it. Managing emails and stuff isn't the cheapest thing in the world. I'm not looking to spend more money to, to manage this data and then have people be ticked off about it anyway, right? You only want to do business with people that want to do business with you. You don't want to force yourself on people. So pleasing people to challenging people. He chose to challenge me. And that is the right thing to do. Let's talk about this. It says, John's here on page 81 in the book, right? And now it's 313 uh, Pacific Standard Time, 13 minutes in. I shared my personal story with you. And now we'll get to the content. Uh, pleasing people is not the same as leading people. I think that's huge, right? Um, and this goes upstream downstream, right? Just because, pardon me, just because you are following someone that is a leader doesn't mean that, uh, you need to please them all the time either. 
right? When something is out of kilter, when something is not right, it's wrong to not say something, right? Now you don't want to be, you know, whiny and, and hard to manage and just a complainer. If you have a problem, you want to come with a solution, right? But that's, that's a different lesson altogether. Um, John talks about his early years of becoming a leader and says, during those early years, I might have defined leadership as make people happy and they will follow you, right? And I've learned, I've learned the hard way that that ain't true, and apparently so is John. John writes, you can never make everyone happy, and wanting to do so is a setup for disappointment or failure. And then he has a couple of stories, and one of them, one of them really illustrates what I consider the little things, and, and this is what I found in my professional career, is that it's generally the little things that offend people the most. I can do, um, I can make big swathy decisions. I can, you know, change the way the world spins. I can, I can move all kinds of things around and people won't say anything, but let me give somebody a different color pen one day in a meeting and then they might lose their marbles, right? So it's, it's the small things, right? That might trigger somebody. So John says, one day I created trouble in paradise. This was about a small church he was managing. And he says, there was an ugly painting in the small lobby of the church. I had noticed it before and thought about how it needed to go, but it hadn't been a priority, right? Because, you know, as a leader, you've got to prioritize your stuff. He says, I didn't say anything about it to anyone, but I got around to removing it. I considered it a small improvement that I was glad to make. That camera's going crazy today. Uh, the reaction was immediate and negative. <laughs> You'd have thought that I called somebody's baby ugly. Right away, I learned that two members of the congregation had given that painting as a gift to the church and had placed it in a prominent spot themselves when they had learned that I had removed it to say they were not happy is a gross understatement. I quickly apologized and put the painting back. Phew, that was close. I had dodged the bullet and gone from leader, from a bad leader to a good leader because everybody was happy again. Now, how long do you think it took before John did something else at the church that somebody else wasn't happy about, right? He's got a story in here about telling the coach he was going to go to a baseball game and then not being able to get to the baseball game because of another emergency. So. Uh, he's got another one in here, uh, you know, talking about some interaction at the church where he just constantly ended up chasing, you know, he's supposed to have a meal at somebody's house or he was supposed to, you know, and for some reason he can't do it. And it just spirals out of control. Uh, here he says, worse still, I gave the most time and energy to the unhappiest and least committed people. This is so, so huge. This is, this is almost the whole chapter right here for me, just to be honest with you. I'm on the bottom of page 83. He says, worse still, I gave the most time and energy to the unhappiest and least committed people. Even though they were not contributing to the vision or helping to move the organization forward, I was letting the tail wag the dog. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a corporate meeting somewhere, I've been in a, I've been in a conference room, and you are, you're trying to forecast growth, you're trying to forecast an initiative, you're trying to move the ball forward, and there could be 20 people in the room. And there's always that one, two people that are like, and the whole room turns and focuses their attention on fixing those two people. When in reality, what needs to happen in a lot of these cases is those two need to be able to say, hey, point taken, let's move forward. And then move forward with the positive energy you know, of the 80, 90% of the room that's still engaged in growth, right? And so, I can tell you many, many, many times I made a management decision to uh, disable 
or let's say not, not enable, right? To not be an enabler of somebody that was very negative. And generally what happens is that person begins to squeal louder and louder and louder. They feel ignored. They feel that they're not part of the team. They start to, you know, basically lose their minds and complain to everybody about it. Now, if the rest of the organization sees the positional leadership and what's happening there, generally you, you have their buy-in, generally. Um, but remember, it's a key part of leadership to not throw your other people under the bus too, right? So you kind of, you got to be positive. You have to pour into the people that are proactive. And unfortunately, you have to be able to challenge people, right? And not necessarily go out of your way to try and please them all the time. So later he says, I recognize that affirmation doesn't equal leadership accomplishment, right? So he was talking about, you know, my desire to be liked by others was deeply rooted within me to the point where my best days in leadership were the ones where people affirmed me. I crave the affirmation every day but I recognize that affirmation doesn't equal leadership. So I vowed to change. Step by step, I talked myself out of the idealistic thoughts and feelings I had as a young leader and coached myself to become the leader that people really needed, not just the one they wanted. I made the leader shift from pleasing people to challenging them. Challenging them doesn't mean I call you there goes my camera. Doesn't mean I call you out and I'm taking you out to the parking lot. That's not what that means. Doesn't mean I challenge you to a fight. Hey, Sebastian. Sebastian sent me a beer in my Facebook Messenger. Thank you very much, sir. I'm liking that. Um, but what it's talking about is challenging them to be better, challenging them to participate, challenging them to be positive, challenging them to overcome their negativity with a possible solution. Remember, not every negative is wrong. Sometimes a negative is correct because you, you need that correction, you need that balance. But when someone comes at you with a negative, there needs to be a, a, a solution or a remedy or a workaround to associate with that negative, right? We can't just say that's not gonna work, right? Well, that's not gonna work, why? That's how would it work, right? And then start making those approaches, okay? So it says, how to shift from a pleaser to a leader. And then he says, you have to be doing what's right for your people and organization ahead of what feels right for you. I don't know how you guys feel about your leadership. I don't know how you feel about the opportunities when you have the chance to lead. Uh, when I said your leadership, I meant the people that were over you, right? I don't know um, how you really make your decisions because let's face facts, I really don't know who's watching this thing with me, right? But if you're making decisions in leadership based on just how you feel about it, chances are you're not leading well, right? You want to lead with some forethought, with some vision. And what you say here, it says, you have to put what's doing right for your people and organization ahead of what feels right for you. That's part of that self-sacrifice statement again that came up in the last chapter we covered, right? So there's a lot of numbered items in here about some of the challenges in going from a pleaser to a leader. So I'm gonna cover those with you real quick. When I say real quick, it's gonna be half hour, 40 minutes, right? Change your expectations towards leadership. Always separate what's best for you from what's best for the organization. That can be really, really hard to do. Especially like, I look at when I was with Suzuki, right? That, as they were downsizing and I was one of the managers laid off, 
I'm thinking, well, I run the training department. I run the training department. Who, who could possibly shut down the training department? Well, it doesn't mean the training is shut down. It just means they're taking another view at running it, right? Um, from my personal perspective, shutting down training was absolutely the worst thing that could possibly happen with new product hitting the market. Internally, after I'm gone, I have no idea what decisions they've made on behalf of that position or that group or that product line that's being released, right? Maybe they have a plan. Um, but from a leadership perspective, my leader, the people above me that made the decision to lay me off, they had to take a look at that and go, well, what's best for the company? Is it best for the company to let Kurt go and save that salary and do something else with that expense? Or is it best to keep Kurt on board and make him run the whole thing? Right. And that's the decision that they had to make. Now, it says uh, when you're making these decisions, always think in terms of priorities. Right. So what's best for the organization? One. What's best for other people within the organization? That's two. And then three. What's best for me? So that priority when you're making that decision, what's best for you is last. Right. What's best for you is last. Uh, it says, I must say that during this relational leadership from pleasing people to challenging people, I felt great loneliness as a leader. Now, this is one of those things where I say, I don't know who's on the line. So I'm going to be rather transparent. When I go in and I take a new position in leadership at another corporation or another group uh, or another mission, uh, I don't, I try not to go in guns a blazing, you know, and being everybody's best buddy and going out and having lunches and dinners and, and having drinks together and stuff like that. I don't find that to be the best avenue either. Uh, and that's part of what makes leadership extremely lonely. When they say it's lonely at the top, you know, when we talked about that a few chapters ago and we said, well, if it's lonely at the top, you did it wrong. Cause if you're leading, you shouldn't be there by yourself. You should have brought some people with you. But when you're new to a position, or it's a new leadership role, uh, remember that you, know, you are distancing yourself a little bit so that you can have the right perception of what's best for the company, what's best for the people that you affect within that company, and then lastly, what's best for you. And when you think of what's best for you as being last, uh, that unfortunately does come with a little bit of loneliness, right? But over time, when you sow enough seed and, you, and you're in a position to reap the right harvest, over time, that will wash itself and you'll find that you have great relationships and a great team and, and, and great give and take throughout the different transactions and relations of the day, but it takes time and you got to build that up. Right. Um, later page 86, it says uh, you want to make sure that you have people's commitment. Right. And so this was talking about change your expectations towards leadership. You're not just in charge because you're the leader, right? You, you can't have the expectation that you're going to spit something out of your mouth and people are going to do it. You have to get their commitment first. Right. And so it says one of the greatest lessons I learned in this area was that you never know if people are really with you until you ask them for a commitment. When you ask others for commitment, you lose the uncommitted people and you gain the committed ones. Okay. That's important. If you go to somebody and you ask for a commitment and you have a group of people, people that are not committed, you're going to lose those guys. Okay. When you don't ask for commitment, you keep the uncommitted ones and you lose the committed. You choose who to lose. It's okay to lose the folks that aren't committed. Now in a big corporate environment, this could be a problem, right? Half your team doesn't even want to work for you. That's okay. Find the ones that do want to work with you and pour into those people and, and let that relationship grow. And what you'll find over time is that as your relationship grows with the people that have 
offered commitment to you, um, as that relationship grows, other people that were formerly uncommitted may begin to trade sides. And it's not a he said, she said, you know, we're all going to lose situation, you know, but over time, you need to win people over to your leadership abilities, right? Now, what I wrote as a great summary statement to this section was, if your leadership is motivated by pleasing others or receiving approval, you need to change your expectations. Shift your focus from what you gain to how you can help people improve your organization and achieve your vision. Otherwise, your leadership will always be limited. Remember, if you're always trying to keep the team happy and you're not focusing on the goals of the corporation or the organization, you're not leading, you're not moving forward, right? So I'm going to read that summary one more time slowly in case people are taking notes. I see we've got over 60 people in here so far. So I want to make sure I don't leave anyone behind. Okay. It says, if your leadership is motivated by pleasing others or receiving approval, right? All up here and here, you need to change your expectations. Shift your focus from what you gain to how you can help people improve your organization and achieve your vision. Otherwise, your leadership will always be limited. And that takes us to the second part of this chapter, which is value people as much as you value yourself. I think this is huge. And, and it's, you know, real leaders will, will say it like value your team more than you value yourself, right? We just said, put yourself last. But, I, you know, John here is writing from a very realistic standpoint, right? Valuing people is a high priority in life. Uh, every day, I intentionally add value to others. And, and I do the same. I try to look for who can I add value to? It could be as simple as, you know, I go to check out at the store and the clerk says, you know, did you find everything you needed? And I go, oh yeah, that and more. Hey, how's your day going today, by the way? You know, it's been really busy late. You holding up okay? Can I get you water? You know, when I do that at the checkout, people melt. It's unbelievable how people react to that. And that's because other people generally aren't behaving in that way. And as a leader, whether you're a self-appointed leader or an appointed leader, you need to think in terms of how can I add value to as many people as possible? How can I find opportunities to add value to people? And I think that was covered in chapter two. Uh, it says, your value assessment of yourself determines your personal investment in others. So remember, you have to add to yourself first. You have to love yourself before you can love others, right? You have to invest in yourself with personal development before you have content you can give to others, right? If you feel that you are worthy of opportunity, you will give others opportunities. If you feel that you are worthy of being developed, you will be willing to develop others. If you see yourself as a nine out of 10, you will be more likely to value others highly, right? So constantly develop yourself. In John's classic style on page 87 here, there we go, uh, he's got a series of bullets. Those bullets are leaders who value people, give them their best effort. Leaders who devalue their people give them little effort. Leaders who value their people serve them, and leaders who devalue their people want to be served by them. That's where that positional authority, that level one leadership really takes over, right? Leaders who value their people empower them. Leaders who devalue their people control them. Leaders who value their people motivate them, and leaders who devalue their people manipulate them. Let's jump to section three of this, right? And again, we're talking about from pleasing people to challenging people. Like, how do you make that leap, right? And so as I go through this, keep trying to reset that in your head. Like, this whole topic was about not being a people pleaser, but challenging people and encouraging them to be their best, right? It says, work to establish expectations up front. 
This is huge. And when I do sales coaching with executives out in the field, this will be something that we discuss, right? At what point in the transaction, at what point in the relationship development do you discuss expectations with your coach client? Or do you discuss expectations with your retail customer? Uh, you know, if you're in the power sports industry and you're selling an ATV to a farmer, you know, you need to know what the expectations of the farmer is, are, so you know which model best meets that farmer's needs, right? You don't want to sell him a 250 when he needs a, a 500 to, to haul hay or something, right? So you want to make sure that you're establishing expectations as close to the front as you possibly can. And John addresses that here really well on the book on page 88. Uh, it starts off with, in my people-pleasing years, I never established expectations up front. I tell myself that sometime, somewhere, somehow, I'd broach the topic of expectations when the time was right. But that time was never right, right? Now, what do you think happens the longer you wait? Right? Yeah, the longer you wait, the harder it gets. When you, and it's, it's really bad because you can start to see people that you're in a relationship with, with skewed expectations, working in a certain direction, and you're like, oh, no, 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 that's not the way we were going to go here. That's, that's not what we were going to do. And before you know it, it spirals out of control, and you have to have one of those come into Jesus meetings, and you're going, man, I'm really sorry. It's unfortunate we had to have this meeting. You know, we've got this, that, and the other thing that we need to discuss and uh, blah, blah, blah. And that's because you didn't handle it up front and you didn't negate the problem before it became a problem. Hmm. Thanks, Suzuki. That was a great parting gift. <laughs> um, it says, today I see sharing and setting expectations on the front end as the litmus test for a leader. Uh, it says, upfront appreciation places value on the person and increases the value of our time together upfront expectations increase the value of any meeting. The sooner I set expectations, the quicker and easier the meeting. 100%. Go into a meeting with an agenda and a bullet list, and that meeting will end on time. And contrary to what people said in the 90s, the only reason to have a meeting is to schedule the next meeting. That is bunk. Meetings will steal productivity away from an organization. So I try to limit my meetings as much as possible. That's why I, in my training organization, I do bi-weekly support calls and I limit the one-on-one -on -one training as much as possible because I wanna be as efficient and productive and profitable as possible in helping those dealers find their success. Uh, last bullet, no, three more bullets. Upfront questions are the quickest way for people to understand one another. Upfront discussion influences the way and direction we lead others and upfront decisions increase the value of our time together. Being upfront means you're out in front, right? Think about that quote that I keep saying, right? Leaders see more than others do and they see before others do. You wanna be first, right? You wanna be upfront, okay? It says, what are your expectations for our interaction? I always invite the other person to go first. It's not only polite, but it's smart. If I am meeting with someone and I just, vomit my expectations out on them. Oh, I'm glad you can meet today. This is what I want to accomplish. I come off a little bullish, right? But if I'm leading a meeting and I say, hey, uh, I'm curious, what are your expectations for our meeting today? I want to make sure that we can check all the boxes for you. That gives them the opportunity to set the expectation and gives me the ability to meet the expectation. Furthermore, most times people will set an expectation that's lower than I'm willing to go. So then I have a chance to exceed the expectation. Now on the off chance 
that I can't meet the expectation they just set, right? They say, well, this is what I'm expecting out of today's meeting, blah, blah, blah. And they start to talk. I go, Ooh, that's not going to work, right? Then diplomatically, I can say, hey, if I'm understanding you correctly, you know, you mentioned this, 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 and this. Okay, great. You know, I'm only really prepared today to meet this and this. Uh, you know, can we reschedule another time? Can we have more resources? Can, you know, whatever the, whatever the scenario calls for. But by having that discussion up front, I don't spend an hour and a half with somebody and then turn around and go, oh, sorry to meet your expectations. Good luck with the next guy, right? No, if I handle it up front and I communicate and I make that connection, then I'm able to move to the next level pretty flawlessly, right? The next thing in this section says it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the big picture right? That's kind of like that saying, there's, you know, in a divorce, they go, there's his side, her side, and then the truth, right? It's kind of like that. It's not about me, and it's not about you. It's about the big picture. It says a mature person has the ability to see and respect different perspectives. However, when you're leading a team, department, or organization, you must always keep your eye on the big picture, right? Uh, John wrote in the 17 Indisputable Laws of Teamwork, he wrote, the goal is more important than the role." So important. How many times have you been on a job site somewhere and goes, that's not my job. Not my job, yo. Not my job. Uh, if you want to be a leader, everything's your job, right? So the goal is more important than the role. Each person has a role on a team. Why? To help the team accomplish its goal, to fulfill the bigger picture. No individuals, not any team member, and not the leader can lose sight of the goal and get consumed by themselves. If you have a team member that's a superstar player, and let's say, uh, you, let's say you have a group of people writing a book, everybody's writing a book, and everyone gets assigned a chapter to write. And the guy writing chapter five is a genius, and he writes the chapter, but the other people fail, right? What does the guy doing chapter five have? Nothing, he's got some notes about chapter five. He doesn't have a book, and he doesn't have a byline, and he doesn't have uh, you know, a collaboration to celebrate. So it's super important that not only do you know your role, but you keep your, your eyes on the, on the overall goal, and then you work together as a team to get to that. It says you must value other people. You are expected to keep growing. How do you grow an organization? Through the growth of its individual members. In power sports, I'm big on this. This is huge for me. A lot of power sports owners, a lot of dealer principals, We'll say, oh, I'm looking for, you know, hey, do you have any qualified technicians? I'm looking, for a, I'm looking for a master tech. Everybody's looking for a master tech. Master techs don't fall off trees, right? Everybody wants a master tech. Everybody wants an A-level technician. Well, the sad truth of it is, is you're going to have to grow them, right? Either that, you're going to have to pay through the nose for them, right? If you want to pay, you know, Henry Lonsky and Associates, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and moving expenses to bring in an A-level technician for your shop, I guess that's an option, but then you really haven't grown that person. They don't understand your culture. And even though if they have the technical ability, they might not have the cultural brain space to be a member of your team efficiently. So it's super important that you be willing to grow your own. And I think that's huge. Companies that don't invest in training, to me, is a crime. Um, I, I worked with a gentleman who, after he did the math. I didn't have to do the math for him, but he had figured out in five years of being with a company, they had only invested in something like 12 days of personal growth for him or 12 days of growth of, of, of education on product development, right? So he looked at that and he said, 
if the company's not willing to invest in me, why do I keep giving 100% to the company? And that's a fair assessment, right? Um, if you are in an organization and you have a team of people, it's imperative that you develop them and you help them to grow and issue them the challenge to grow. Remember, this whole chapter is talking about going from pleasing people to challenging people. So you want to help them develop, right? You must be prepared to change. It's kind of what the whole book is about. It says there's a vast difference between conceding that change is inevitable and believing that change is essential. Change is essential. We always have to keep moving forward. Everyone has to earn my time. I like what the John writes this because I think this is important. It says there are a lot of things I freely give everyone in my organizations, vision, belief, resources, support, leadership. One thing that must always be earned is my time. I wanted to highlight this whole section, but I, I, I did. I only I took out little sections. It says the most limited of my personal resources, so it must be earned before I give it. How does someone do that? By being a productive member on the team. I said this to somebody not too long ago and they just about lost their mind. They didn't understand what I was talking about, right? But if someone's not productive and they keep trying to usurp a vast majority of your time that you owe to the rest of your team, you have to look at it at some point and go, I have to give my time to the people that produce, right? Because you only have so much leadership mojo you can share. So it says, uh, how does someone do that? by being a productive member of the team. In this, I practice the 80-20 principle. I give 80% of my time to 20% of the team that produces 80% of the results. Earlier in my career, I spent a lot of time with unproductive people thinking I could change them. I was so naive. As I mentioned, at first, I just wanted to win everyone over. Later, I started to think about people's potential and I would ask, will they do it? Can they do it? And is it worth the effort to ask them? And that to me is huge. If it's not worth the effort to even ask somebody to do something, then why are they on your team in the first place? And that goes back to that tail wag and the dog thing in one of the opening paragraphs, right? Moving over to page 93, it says if you work for someone, value that person's time and be aware that you need to earn it. If others work for you, give your own time only to those who are productive and who are willing to learn, grow, and keep earning it. Um, there are times where someone might not seem productive. That's not the only barometer for cutting them off from your time. Because if they're teachable, if they're willing to learn, if there's someone that can be developed, well then give them that time, develop them and help them to become productive. But if it's someone that you've given direction to and they constantly just come back in a, in a negative or contrarian way, well then it's time to move your energies over to people that produce, right? Always take responsibility. This is one of the last sections of, of this particular section. It says, always take responsibility. We're on page 93. It says, most people want empowerment when what they need first are responsibility and accountability. I'm huge with this. In fact, the training I do online in Power Sports and Marine is about, hey, you accomplish these lessons, which completes courses. You complete multiple courses. You come to the uh, bi-weekly support call I do live, right, with a group of people, and, and, and we work to develop you. And then once you get, you know, once you build responsibility and accountability and all that stuff, then we can talk about empowerment and one-on-one -on -one consulting and really taking your business to the next level, right? It's huge. People want to be judged by their intentions, not their actions. Have you guys heard that before? Um, that's credited to one of the chairmen at Albertsons. Uh, it says here, his name is Kevin Turner. 
I've heard this a million times, so I, I never knew it was Kevin Turner. But Kevin Turner, who is vice chairman of the board of, Ma of managers at Albertsons and senior advisor to the company's chairman and CEO said, people want to be judged by their intentions, not their actions. But results are what make the difference, not good intentions. All right, huge, huge. Uh, when you go over to page 94, it says, uh, that's what taking responsibility is. It's picking yourself. It's motivating yourself. It's bringing intentionality and energy to everything that you do. If you are on a sequester, if you're on a self-isolation, right? A self-quarantine thing right now, and you're spending time on this with me right now, well, then that tends to tell me that you are somebody that is this, right? You're picking yourself, you're motivating yourself, and you're bringing intentionality and energy to everything that you do. That's amazing to me. And looking, uh, we've got almost twice as many people as last time I refreshed the page. There's 130 plus people in here. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in and, and sharing time with us and, and being part of this. Next time, uh, click the link and join the, the, the Zoom link and you can participate, have a discussion, ask questions. Um, but when I look at this, I say, I want to be surrounded by people that take initiative and move forward to have accountability. These are folks I want to surround myself with, right? Um, I put a question mark here. It said, would it work? So this is something I meant to read out loud. It says, I start by having energy check-ins at the beginning of meetings. Now this, this to me, this is more like a question mark. Okay. Can you see that? Okay. Would it work? And I'm on page 94. Uh, I start having energy check-ins at the beginning of meetings. I simply ask each person in the room what energy level number is as I start a meeting. This motivates everyone to be fully present in the room. If needed, I put everyone's name and number on the board and let them know what energy level is needed from everyone in the room for us to be successful in the meeting. People usually take responsibility to raise their energy level to the level of expectations, and it helps the meeting to have a high energy and positive results. I have not employed this yet. I, I, to be honest with you, I have a hard time walking into a meeting and, and looking at 10 people and going, what's your energy level like today? What's your energy level like today? What's your energy level like today? And then writing it on the board, right? And then saying, okay, well, this meeting requires everybody to, sorry about the camera. Uh, this meeting requires everybody to be at an energy level of eight, right? And then, well, you two sixes, you might as well just leave the room, right? I don't know how I would, how I would address that, but it's interesting, right? It's talking about bringing the right person to the meeting and by person yourself, bring yourself to the meeting, right? Uh, pick yourself, be motivated, bring intentionality. All of that is there. Uh, 94 says we will not avoid tough conversations. Silence to most people means approval. Okay. I learned that in other cultures, when I traveled overseas, sometimes silence in the room means disapproval. If they don't verbalize, we're with you right on that rocks. Uh, in our culture, we go overseas, we have a meeting with a bunch of people and we go, and nobody said anything must be good. And so we leave thinking everything's great. What really happens is they talk about you as soon as you leave the room, because everything you said is completely wrong. Um, it's important to know the audience that you have, right? So silence to most people means approval. When people have, uh, when people have to fill in the blanks themselves, they do so negatively. So you want to give people as much information as possible. Remember the setting expectations thing we just talked about? That's what this is about, right? Do not avoid tough conversations. Set the expectations up front. Problems left unaddressed have a snowball effect. Problems left unaddressed cause inner erosion. How many times have you been part of a group where the leader doesn't address a negativity in the group somewhere 
and it just begins to snowball and build and build and build and just drive itself right through the whole group, right? It's important to handle that stuff up front. And then it says, the law of diminishing intent is in effect. The longer you wait to do something you should do now, the greater the odds that you will never do it, right? So I could have waited until I thought I was an expert on this book before launching this mastermind, but realistically, I just got to do it, right? I got to get you people in here with me and I got to share what I think is so important to share at this time in history that I'm just going to do it. Take the risk, right? I make a fool out of myself. What's the worst that could happen? I've done that before. Uh, number four. Okay, so we've gotten to section four, page 95. Ask yourself the hard questions before any potentially difficult conversation. Those of you that weren't here at the beginning, I talked about something I did today, right? I took my whole email list and I deleted it so I could start over fresh and only put in people that are new, that are current, that want to be part of the newsletter, that are interested in, in leadership, goal setting, power sports, marine. You know, I, I just need those people, right? And for me to have a list that's a decade old and have like, I made someone a website that produces salsa and I still have them on my list. Well, the salsa is awesome, but I don't necessarily need to email them a newsletter about power sports service when they make salsa, right? So the hard question I had to ask myself was, is there an opportunity that I could be wrong? Is there an opportunity that I could make the change? And so before I jumped in to have an, argue, an argument with somebody, I thought, you know what? Maybe I am wrong. Let's just, let's just start over. Let's just redo this thing. And that's what you got to do. Ask yourself the hard questions before any potentially difficult conversation. It says, I, I began asking myself, so the questions I began asking myself was, what is the source of the problem prompting the need for this challenging conversation? Is it an external issue? issue? Is it a problem within the other person? Or is it me? I have had to ask myself that multiple times. And here's a barometer that I think a lot of leaders really need to employ is um, there's the law of the inner circle. That's part of the John Maxwell philosophy training. And in that inner circle, you employ relationships that you have with people that you find really valuable, right? And they don't necessarily have to agree with you on everything. You just want them to be strong, ethical, good people that you can have honest conversations with. And I've got a couple of those in my circle. And if I'm having an issue with somebody, I might pull someone in from my inner circle and say, I'm seeing this from this, 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 and this perspective. Is there a chance it could be me? Like, am I wrong? Do you think they're wrong? Or do you think this is just an environmental miscommunication? And, and by the way, miscommunication is the leader's fault too, right? Because you, if there's a miscommunication, you as the leader need to take the initiative to, to clean that up. So super, super important. There are, a, if you get the book, right? Cause I, I gave you guys the links of one of the original invites on how to get this book through Amazon. And it wasn't, I'm not even, it's not an affiliate link. I just want you to get the book, right? I'm not getting a dime out of this. Uh, page 96 has questions to consider and it has a, a chart for you to fill in. And I think that these are pretty helpful when you're looking at a whole book, right? So fill in the chart and then move on to section five, which is on page 97. And I'm looking at the time. Don't worry, we're good. I'm managing the time well. We're right on time. When a tough conversation is needed, do it right. First, remember why you're having the conversation. 
It's because you care about the other person and you care enough to confront them. Your goal is to help that person. I can't tell you how many times I've dropped the ball on this one, right? How many times do I say, no, nah, it's, it's for the good of the company. I'm going to have this conversation right now. Well, that's not for the good of the company. That's for the good of me, right? Because I got a vent. Uh, so that's not the right time to do that. It's not the right reason to do that. Um, and in some respects, I almost hate to say it this way, but when I want to have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody, it's got to come from the position of, I value you as a person and I want to see you increase. I want to see you grow. I want to see you get the most out of this. Um, I need you to get the most out of this, right? Because I need the, whatever the program is to move forward. And so, yes, it's what's good, what's, what's best for the company or the organization, what's best for the individual, and then finally what's best for you, right? And, and so that's how that was, was handled there. He's got a whole list of bullet points down here on page 97. It says, state the issue clearly at the beginning and use the phrase, are you aware of that, right? Are you aware that this is happening? Um, chances are they might not even be aware that that's the situation or they have a completely different perspective. Give them the chance to give you their perspective, right? Ask them to tell you what their perspective is. Ask questions, you know, say, am I hearing you correctly, right? Repeat back what you heard, allow them to respond, try to find common ground, arrive at an agreement on what's best for both of you, right? And with the different HR laws and stuff out there, that can be a really difficult thing to do because you want to say, what's best for both of us? Well, what's best for us is if you just hit the road, buddy. Uh, but you got to make sure that you follow the rules and the regulations while employing as much leadership skill as possible, right? See the growth opportunity that lies within the tough conversation and seek to maintain a positive relationship. That leads us to uh, six, understanding the 25-50-25 principle. And I'll be honest with you guys, the more that I read this and the more that I study this as a principle, the more I struggle myself with really employing it. But if I don't share it with you as part of this work, then, then I'm at fault, right? He says, understand the 25-50-25 principle. Good leadership always challenges people to rise to the occasion, become their best and achieve more. Some people accept the challenge and help the team to win and others don't. As a leader, you have to manage the process that people go through. Use the 25-50-25 principle, okay? Here's how it goes, he says. Whenever you cast a vision and challenge people to become part of achieving an endeavor, they tend to fall into one of three groups. Typically, 25% will support your efforts. 50% will be undecided and 25% will resist the change. Your job is to help the middle 50% join the first 25%. And here are some tips for doing that, working with all three groups. I don't know that I've really fallen into a 25, 50, 25 role. Maybe the groups I don't, maybe the groups I've worked with haven't been big enough to see those, those proportions really fall into place. You know, I generally go back to what we studied earlier about, you know, identify who's got the commitment, who's committed, right? And then focus on the ones that are committed and then grow that, that group. That's typically the way that I do that. But looking here, it says, understand that the resistant bottom 25% aren't going to join you no matter what you do. Don't waste effort trying to make up this bottom 25% or trying to make them happy. Uh, don't give the bottom 25% a platform or credibility, right? Don't even give them the opportunity to argue with you. Okay, uh, try to keep the bottom 25% away from the 50% that have yet to make up their minds, right? Try to separate things and, and try to focus on your positive 25% and work on the, the middle group, right? Ask the 25% who support you to help positively influence the middle 50%, right? Get buy-in. 
and then give the support of 25% credibility and a platform to speak. So invite them to come up and, and support and, and, and you know, promote what you do, okay? Uh, maybe if I work with a group big enough, I'll try that. Number seven, balance care with candor. candor. This is part of the five levels of leadership, okay? And this is something that uh, is a whole different segment unto itself, right? The five levels of leadership is, is an independent study, but he talks about the five levels here. So I'll cover it with you and then know if this is something you wanna cover some other time or you want me to do another mastermind as the COVID thing continues, man, put that in the comments. Give me some suggestions to take on and, and run with after we're done with this book. Um, but uh, balance and candor, balance care with candor. This is something that people may think that I struggle with. Um, I'm, I tend to be rather direct. I'm a direct communicator. I warn people up front when we enter a business relationship. I'd say, hey, um, sometimes I have the habit of being a direct communicator. If I say something in a way that is offensive or I cross the line or, or something along the, that route, you got to let me know. Um, and I can try to be a little more diplomatic in the way that I handle things. And I think that it's important to establish that up front with people and establish those expectations, like we talked about earlier, because your communication style might be based, like I was raised in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, people just say what's on their mind. That's what it is. You don't like it? Tough. That's the way it is. And so when you go to Colorado, New Mexico, Northern California, the culture is completely different. And so you have to adjust to that culture. And so as part of that adjustment for me, I found that I try to set the expectation up front. Let people know I'm a direct communicator. Um, they'll know where I stand, but they might be offended along the way. I'm going to try my best not to do that. But if I do, it's not intentional, right? So I go through that. Now the five steps, and we've only got a couple of minutes left here because I want to respect your time. The five levels of leadership. And if, if you don't already have a pen in your hand, now's the time to go get one. I'll count to 10. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight, nine, 10. All right. The five steps. One, position. We've talked about positional authority before. It's where people follow you because they have to, right? That's level one. Level two, permission. It's people follow you because they want to. I can tell you as a leader that's gone through these steps, uh, I've had certain positions in life where I've had the, the pleasure, I've had the honor of going through these steps with different groups. And when you go through these, it, it's, it's like a, it, it's a transformation that you feel internally. It's amazing. Okay. So position is one. Permission is two. They follow you because they want to. Production. People follow you because you help improve the team. You know, they're not just following you because they like you. They're following you because they know that you bring value and productivity to the experience. Right? So that's production. People development. People follow you because you improve them personally. I can tell you firsthand for me, adding value to people is my number one priority. If there's a way to make a living out of it, great. But if I'm making a living and not adding value to people, something is horribly wrong and I need to reinvent what's going on, right? Five is called pinnacle, the pinnacle level of leadership, right? And this is where people follow you because you help them become leaders at a level for themselves. When you can lead people to the point that they can lead other people up to develop other leaders underneath them, 
you've gotten to the law of multiplicity, which is again part of the Maxwell philosophy, something that we can talk about at another time. But when you get into the law of multiplicity and you talk about not just adding value to people one at a time, but you know, exponentially adding value to people through all these other connections, man, that is just that is just fantastic. And to be honest with you, that's something I'm hoping to gain out of building a little group in here. If people want to take leadership serious and join a mastermind and get in the Manana Nomas environment, I, I couldn't ask for anything better. That would be phenomenal, right? It says, in 40 years, I've used the five levels of leadership to train and develop leaders. I've observed that the most difficult step for most leaders is to go from level two to level three. It's absolutely correct. When you get people that follow you because they want to, and then you have to get them to be productive in that position, there, there's, a, there's a huge swing that happens there, right? But I think of it like a pendulum, right? Once that pendulum makes that, that you know, traverses the distance, it can keep on going. And, and the momentum becomes your friend, right? The law of momentum, another one. All right, so I'm having a good time. I hope that you guys are having a good time too. I know it's almost over, but I really enjoy the book. I find so much value in it. And I, I love that, you know, we've been here for an hour and we're on the last page. I mean, the timing is just perfect. When you get to the end here, it says, uh, there's three bullet points. It says, care without candor creates dysfunctional relationships. That's where you're pleasing instead of challenging, right? Care without candor. You got to tell people what's up. If you don't tell them what's up, what's the sense? Candor without care creates distant relationships. I don't want people to be in my environment that don't want to be in that environment. If that makes, I'm, I'm trying to make sense in, in the way I'm using words that, and phrases that I hope I hope they make sense to you guys. I don't want people in my direct environment. I don't want people in my circle that are uncomfortable being in my circle, right? Which means I need to speak directly and I need to use candor and I need to tell them what's up, but I need to do it with a certain love, kindness, and softness that makes them want to be part of the team, right? And then care balanced with candor creates developing relationships. That to me is huge. That's what we just talked about, right? Find a, a, an inner circle, an outer circle, find people that, have, uh, that are like-minded about development and want to grow. And man, you put that team together. If I could be a leader that grew a team of leaders that had a positive influence on the power sports industry, the marine industry, basic business, Fortune 500 executives, sales coaching, all, I mean, imagine taking these philosophies and these leadership techniques and employing them across the board in how our professionals deal with customers and customer communication moving forward. Imagine how much smoother and easier it would be to transact business with people if these were the philosophies that we had in place, right? So 100% down for this, I'm, I'm super excited. It says, um, <laughs> the last part of the book before we go into my, my closing is it says, my mindset should be, I love you too much to let you stay where you are. When you wanna challenge somebody and they're in a pleasing mode, but you need to switch them to a challenging mode. You wanna have a conversation with them about developing into the person they have the potential to be, right? Not everybody wants to be developed, by the way, right? And if people are choosing to not be developed, they probably don't need to be on your team. If you're a proactive leader that sees before other people do and sees more than other people do, that acts before other people do, that acts more than other people do, if you're that leader, you probably don't need someone not interested in growth on your team, okay? So the thing is, is, is when you go to take somebody from pleasing to challenging, you need to say, I love them too much to let them stay where they're at. 
right? That's got to be the motivation, the adding value to others thing. If you can get out of the whole, you know, perks to price thing that we talked about last time and, and you know, the, the goal to growth and then transition that into this, you know, pleasing people and affecting that, you know, through a, through a group status, man, you're well on your way to, to being a leadership kind of leader. And, uh, you know, we still got half a book to go. So I will see you guys Thursday at three o'clock. Uh, let me refresh the page over here on Facebook just to see where we're at so far. Um, cause I'm just fascinated by this. Yeah. It's we're over 170 people. So, oh my gosh, I'm so humbled. Um, thank you for coming here, for spending time, for sharing valuable time with me and, and going over this stuff. I'm super passionate about it. I really feel that we can make a difference. And as this COVID crisis happens, remember what I said in some of my earlier social posts or in my earlier broadcasts, I said um, a disruption. Anytime there's a major paradigm shift in anything, there's opportunity. That opportunity might not be in dollars. It might be in relationships. It might be in uh, you know, opportunities elsewhere. But disruption generally equals opportunity. And so I want to encourage people to find the opportunities while adding value to others, <laughs> right? While adding value to others. Um, leader shifting is huge. It, it, it's such a thing. And right now I, I see a bunch of people that are on LinkedIn that are on Facebook and they're saying, you know, follow me. I'll show you how to lead through a crisis, lead through a crisis. And my question to them would be, well, what's your track record so far? What crises have you led people through in the past? You know, where were you during the 2008 turndown? You know, what accomplishments did you have during that time? Um, for me, I left the automotive industry at that time and I started my own company, my own agency, and I helped startup businesses grow from nothing to, you know, fairly equitable businesses. And so when I look at that and I say, okay, well, I've done over 350 websites. I've done this much with social media. I've done, you know, this many accounts. I've helped politicians get elected to office. I've done... And, and this was all at a time when the world was, you know, shouting about gloom. Well, here we are again. And this COVID situation isn't pretty. I don't want to, I'm not going to scaremonger you. I'm not going to talk about the, the crud that we see on the news and, and hash that out because I want this to be a positive space. But if you are following other people that say that they are experts in leadership through crisis, uh, take, put a litmus test to that and do a little research let your fingers do the walk-in and figure out where they were and, and how they led previously through crisis. Make sure they're not just regurgitating something that they've read or seen on the internet. Um, super, super huge. I, I feel that real leadership comes through experience and it comes through a desire to want to add value to others. Uh, that said, I pray you guys have a most awesome day. Uh, as I say on most of these, uh, the presentation, the session is over. So uh, feel free to uh, exit or clear out. Um, for those of you that are interested, I would love to just take a moment and say a prayer for us and to uh, just make sure that uh, I take that time to honor the person, the, 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 the God that I believe in and thank him and be grateful for that which he gives us. So if you're leaving, I'll give you a moment to leave. And if you're staying for prayer, I'd love for you to stay for prayer. All right. Father God, I am so thankful and humbled that the audience for this appears to be growing. Father, uh, keep me away from pride. Uh, help me to not look up who and what and when and details. Father, just um, 
thankful for the open ears and the open minds that are uh, willing and able to spend their time here during this, this session. Uh, Father, I look forward to the next session. I look forward to sharing uh, the words that John has put into writing to help people add value to others. Uh, Father, I know that this is a time where we are in a leadership vacuum. I, I feel like there's a lack of leadership, and I don't care if I'm talking left side, right side, right down the middle. Um, it just feels like there, like there's a lack of leadership and a lack of truth, and the facts don't seem to match up. And so, Father, my prayer is that the people that participate here, Father, that you would give them peace, that you would give their families peace, Father, that you would keep them healthy. Father, if they're experiencing a, a lack of health, I ask that you would, would help there, Father, that you would um, just send relief in whatever way that that comes. Uh, Father, I know that you have given me a peace of spirit. You have given me personally um, a sense of calmness right now that, that I think is counter to a lot of people. And um, Father, I, I hope that uh, people don't perceive me as being a lunatic or embracing uh, a negative situation. But Father, I know that you've created everybody with a certain role and a certain desire and a certain ability. And uh, Father, I pray that you would use me in that capacity. And I pray that you would use the others that follow this uh, in the same way and that they would uh, just embrace what's being taught, the ideals here. And Father, if they have any questions, comments, concerns, Father, I pray that they would have the courage and the confidence to share that uh, with me and with others uh, so that we can work through that. Father, it's, uh, they say it takes a village. And Father, in this case, I, I really do believe that it's going to take a community of like-minded people to jump up to the next level and fill some of the leadership void that's out there and uh, put a, a massive amount of people at ease. Uh, it's kind of a panic right now. Father, in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I am going to sign out of this live, and uh, I really do. Honestly, I wish nothing but the best for you. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, uh, feel free to PM me, comment on the on the pages that I share this video on, and uh, and we'll go from there. And next time, if you want to jump in on the Zoom and, and be part of the presentation, I invite you to do so. I love the interaction. All right. Have a good one. Be blessed.